0: This is the first Sunday of the month, and so on Sunday evenings we take some time to answer some Bible questions, and tonight we're going to try to answer two. And I will tell you that the questions that are asked each month, I've been asked, are these real questions or do you make them up? And the truth is, these are real questions. Uh, people write them out on usually the back of one of the visitor's cards and put them on my desk, and then I try to work them in as possible, but it reflects what's on people's minds. and. I will tell you that sometimes people will say, I've been doing some daily Bible reading and I come across this verse and I really want to hear you discuss it. Or maybe this is a verse that I'm having difficulty understanding. And then there are sometimes things that come from current events. I've already been asked some questions about some things that have occurred in the past couple of weeks. But the questions tonight, as well as all the time, we ought to strive to say, What does God's Word say on this subject? And so the first one is one that's actually longer than I could put on one screen, but I'm going to try to boil it down to basic points. I've been told by multiple people outside the congregation that we are not a welcoming congregation. I agree. We don't have the zeal and energy when we sing. We don't speak to visitors. How can we fix this? Now, you can obviously recognize I don't try to uh, take the questions. I'm just reflecting what people have asked. Let me answer, first of all, that perspective sometimes depends on if a church is welcoming or friendly. And in other words, to one person that comes in to an assembly, they may think, oh, these are the friendliest people I've ever met. On the other hand, some other people may come in and they may think they're not very friendly. Sometimes it relates to the way the person who comes in. I will tell you for myself that when I'm usually on vacation and traveling, I try to come in incognito. That means I'd usually try to just slip in and be quiet. Some people do that. And some people will not let you do that. Uh, But let me use a passage of scripture which I think could be helpful here. In James chapter 2, beginning with verse 2, going through verse 4, For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, Sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts?" Here's a perspective that I think we ought to think about. How do we treat people who come in that may be someone very prestigious in our community? Or maybe someone who comes in who has a lot of money or someone who has a lot of of clout with them. Do we want to give them, oh boy, they're friendly people. They gave me a place of honor. On the other hand, how do we treat someone who comes in who may not be dressed as nicely as we are, someone who may not have the same financial means that we do, do we treat them friendly? That says a lot about us and the way we act before God. It's easy for us to violate the charge that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 14 and verse 12. Then he said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or supper... Do not ask your rich friend, or your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. We ought to treat everyone, everyone with the same kindness, with the same respect, and the same honor who comes in among us. The truth is, you may never know who might come for a visit. If you'll remember Abraham was visited and we learn from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. I don't believe we're going to have angels appear today, but you never know who might become and visit our assembly who might be looking to try to become a child of God. And the way we treat them may... Determine whether or not their soul is in heaven. Now that ought to make us think and think seriously. I do think Solomon offered some very wise wisdom. Because the question is, ask, how can we fix this? The idea is not that we know that we've got a problem. We say, okay, well, I guess that's who we are. No, we're trying to fix things that are broken. Well, Solomon said in Proverbs 18:24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. If you got friends, you've got to treat them like friends. If you want someone to enjoy your presence, you need to enjoy their presence. So when someone comes in, you treat them like you would want to be treated if you were visiting a congregation where they were at. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, A friend loves at all times. We can't just be friendly part of the time. We can't be just friendly when we're in a good mood. We've got to make sure we're friendly all of the time. But here's a problem that I think we have almost universally. While God is the audience, and we ought to understand that, others can see our behavior and judge us. The truth is, it's like a man said in one of the little things I read on Facebook. He says, "I didn't like worship today." The guy says, "Good, we weren't worshiping you." You think about that a little bit. The worship was not to you. The worship was to God. So we we need to make sure we got the right kind of attitude. But now, here's somebody comes in our assembly. Do they judge the way we sing, the way we pray? the way we listen to the lesson, the way that we partake of the Lord's Supper. You see in First Corinthians 14, he said, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? If the service is just going from one chaos to another, people are going to say, Those people don't know what they're doing. On the other hand, he says, but if, if all prophesy or an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now here is something important. When you go and you worship and you sing the songs and you pray the prayers, be involved. Mentally as well as participating with your mouth and with your heart. Our worship ought to reflect a grateful heart. Colossians 3 and verse 23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. If I'm singing praise to God because I love God, then other people are going to be able to see that in me and see the interest that I have. The question asks, what can we do to fix it? I'm going to just offer a few practical things that I think could be helpful. The first one is, introduce yourself to anyone and everyone you do not know. Now let me pause there for just a second. I bet I've heard this phrase repeated at least a dozen times or more. Well, I did that one time and I found out those people, they said they've been going to church here for 20 years. You heard me say, I've heard that probably a dozen times. Introduce yourself to anyone and everyone you do not know. You might find out you like some of those folks around about you. You might find out that some of those folks that you did not know have been attending here for a while, but you may meet somebody that has not. And so I want, if, if you come in the door and you walk by and you see somebody you don't know, it's okay to go over and say, I'm Tony. Generally, they're going to give you your name, their name. And then if they say, I've been attending here for a while, say, I'm good, I'm glad to get to know you, I've been attending here for a while too. And now we get to know each other. That's the only way we're ever going to break the ice. Is to start doing what we know we need to do. Number two, make it easy for people to have a place to sit. Now, considering how many people are sick, that's not a problem. This morning, not a problem tonight. But some Sunday mornings, particularly when we have uh, good weather, and especially as spring starts arriving, we're going to have some Sunday mornings that there's not going to be a good place to sit. Let me tell you what to do slide over and give them the end of the seat. Make it easy for a person to have a place to sit. When it comes time for our Bible classes, offer to show, not tell them how to get to class. Let me tell you what we do sometimes. Uh, I don't know. uh, Let me go see if I can find one of the elders or the preacher. There's a board right before you go out right next to the light switch that has a drawing of the building has where every classroom is at has a list of every teacher's name now here's what you do a little four-year-old kid comes in and you say here let me carry you to your classroom let me show you where it's at that's showing that we have friendliness Make sure to invite them to return. Someone comes and says, oh, we'd love to have you come back with us. We'll meet tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll meet Wednesday night at 7 (laughs) o'clock. Let them see the best version of who we can be every service. Every time we walk in, greet them as they come in the door. Greet them in the auditorium. Let people know that we care about them. I think that will go a long way to try to fix and make us a more friendly congregation. Now, again, I remind you, not everybody says we're not friendly. Some do, some do not. But we've got to make sure that we do the very best job that we can do. Question number two. Is it immoral to build a wall? I don't ask these questions. I'm just trying to answer them. I will tell you, it is unwise to address political matters before the church. And so I'm not going to. I'm not going to address a political matter. I am going to answer the question, however. Because the question of something being, being moral or immoral is not a political issue. Something being moral or immoral is a religious issue. Because you see... Morals is not determined by what I think or by what you think. Nor is something made moral or immoral by what a legislature or a court rules. God is the legislator of morality. When someone says, you're trying to legislate morality. No, I'm not. God has and I'm only respecting his morality. And so when you say something is moral or immoral, it's concerned with principles of right or wrong behavior and the goodness and the badness of human character. So when you start saying something is immoral, then is it really immoral? God is the authority of right behavior. Listen to Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 20. Then Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. Psalm 119, 104, Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. If something is immoral, if something is false, I learn that from God's word. Walls are built for two reasons. The first one is to keep something or someone in or to keep something or someone out. Let me illustrate that. Prisons, stables, because you're talking about someone or something, are meant to keep something in. You know, we had for a while a fence around our property so that we could have the two or three cows that we had to keep them in. We didn't want them out. When you have walls being built, sometimes like for prisoners, you don't want the prisoners to get out. You want to keep them in. You don't want them to escape. Walls of homes and cities were meant to keep enemies out. That's the reason why you had gates and doors, because that was the means of approved access. You know, you come to my house, and if you climb in through the window, I'm not going to be happy with you. If you come and you knock on the door and you say... Can I come in and, you know, get a cup of cold water? Can I come into your house and uh, it's cold outside? Sometimes walls make us question their wisdom. Let me give you a few illustrations of that. The Berlin Wall that was constructed by the Soviet Union for the very purpose of keeping the people of East Berlin inside the city. Many of you remember when uh, President Reagan said to Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It doesn't make sense to try to keep these people in. I remember when Tim and I went to the Bible lands in 1994. We went to the church at Nazareth. There's a photo that I took. I'm going to tell you, when I took that photo, one thing that really bothered me Here's a tall fence and barbed wire across the top of it. Does that say friendly? Does that say welcome? But you see, they live in a different country than we live in. Because when I grew up as a child, we never locked our doors. There was a time when I first moved here, that you came in, every door in this building would just be unlocked. The doors to this building are locked right now. It's a different time, a different place. And you have to say, well, why would you do that? It's not because we want to keep good people out. In fact, we want good people in here. It's because you have to be worried about people who would do you harm. And so sometimes we question whether or not this is... So, but you go to the Bible and you start seeing many cities were walled cities during the Bible... For instance, we all know about reading in Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 6 about the city of Jericho. It said in Joshua 2 verse 15, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. Chapter 6 verse 1, Now the city was securely shut up because the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. Verse 5, it came to pass when they made a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the cities will fall down flat, and people shall go up, every man straight before him. Now, you know the walls fell to Jericho at God's direction. One of the things, that when you visit the Bible lands, you realize that every major city had walls around it. In fact, they made what's called casemate walls. And what it means is that they would build a wall, they would build a space in between it, then they'd build another wall. Sometimes they would do that and build a third wall. And someone would come and they would tunnel their way through a section of the wall and they'd get inside. All right, we're in the city. No, we're in a room. And then we've got to go tunnel through another one. And it was just a, an added layer of protection. It was needed for safety. Psalm 122 verse 7, peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 verse 7, therefore he said to Judah, let us build these our cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars. Well, the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. They said we want to build walls so we can be safe Around all of our cities. The passage brother Tommy read for us. For we were slaves. Yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. To revive us. To repair the house of our God. To rebuild its ruins. And to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. In fact, if you read through the Bible, having a wall was a matter of pride. In Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalms, chapter 48, verses 12 and 13, walk about Zion and go all around her, count her towers, mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces that you may tell to the generation following. The bulwarks, that's the, the wall sections, Nehemiah 12, verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites and all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singings and with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. All this was a celebration because we have walls of protection. But now, let's be a little more specific here. Gates or doors were provided for proper means of entrance. If you go to Acts chapter 9 verses 23 through 25 you realize after Paul became a Christian and he was in Damascus and they were trying to find him to be able to execute him it says now after many days were passed the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket you see gates were the way that people came in and out just like the doors of a house now in God's eyes some walls should fall there's some partitions that shouldn't be there Ephesians 2 verse 14 is for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation—that's that wall between Jew and Gentile. Should there be a wall between white brethren and black brethren? Absolutely not. Should there be a wall between rich brethren and poor brethren? Absolutely not. You see, the Lord's church is one body. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve. Many people fail to even see that heaven has a wall. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 15, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city was laid out as a square, its length was as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with a reed 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, its height are equal. And then he measured the wall 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, according to an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Oh, you see heaven has a wall as well. A picture from Isaiah 26 verse 1. In the day that this song shall be sung in the land of Judah, we have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. And then the same in Isaiah 60, verse 18. Now here is something that is interesting as well. When I think about heaven, and I know that it has walls and it has gates, listen to Revelation 21, verse 27. But there shall by no means enter it anything that deviles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, you mean heaven's not going to have anybody that's not supposed to be there? No, there will not be anybody who's not supposed to be there. But yet our citizenship is open now. All you have to do is comply with the terms. The the door to heaven is open to every man. Ephesians 2 verse 19, Therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven. You see, the, the great thing is, is that citizenship is offered to everybody in heaven, but you've got to comply with the terms. Both of these questions are somewhat related. The first question was, What about being friendly? Second question is, what about walls? We must make sure that we are not hindering people from entering the Lord's church. I want you to listen carefully to Matthew chapter 23 as well as Luke chapter 11. Because when Jesus was going through his personal ministry, there were people who were getting in the way. But woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither go you go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You're getting in the way of people. Luke eleven fifty two. 52. Woe to you, Lars, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering you hindered. You take away the key of knowledge. The problem is the reason why people today aren't going in to the kingdom and becoming citizens of the kingdom is because there are people not getting the message of the gospel. The devil's doing everything in his power to hinder people from doing that. And yet at the same time, we must respect the Lord's divinely laid landmarks. If God places a wall, then that wall is God's wall, not my wall. And I have to respect it. In John chapter 10, there's a very important section. In John 10 verse 1, Most assuredly I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that may have life and they may have it more abundantly. You see, you respect God's divinely laid landmarks. Revelation 22 verse 14 said, Blessed are those that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. And enter through the gates into the city. I like the song, Just Inside the Gates. Just Inside the Gates. I'm looking forward to heaven. I hope you are. I hope your goal is to make it there. But to do that, you've got to be a citizen. Are you ready to enter the kingdom? You know, that's what we're about tonight. And that is if you are a person looking to become a child of God, let me offer you two or three options here. First of all, if you know what you need to do, you need to respond tonight. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're willing to repent, you're willing to confess your faith in him and be baptized, come to the forward, to the front of the pew and we'll baptize you tonight. If you say, I I don't know enough, I want to know some more, then don't wait on that. Let's have a Bible study tonight. Tonight's not convenient. Let's have one tomorrow. Let's not put this off. You don't want to wait till the door is closed. If you're a Christian and you've gone outside the gates and you're you're a prodigal son, you, you've left the father's house, the door is open for you to come back home. We're going to sing the song, Bring Christ Your Broken Life. If you need to respond to the gospel call, would you come as together we stand and sing.